0: Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that is happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kendra hosts host, alongside Ed Spencer, Nathan Hine and Tinas Ferrera. We reviewed the Styrian Grand Prix that took place at the weekend, where Red Bull made it four successive victories, with Max Verstappen taking to the top step once again. Mercedes didn't quite have the pace to win, we'll look at why. Ferrari fought back after their shambolic performance in France the weekend before to come home in 6th and 7th. Further behind, it was another points opportunity gone begging for George Russell and Williams. Formula 1 will remain at the Red Bull ring as the Austrian Grand Prix is lined up for the ninth round of the campaign. Hello, Ed. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Tina. How are we? And we've got a bit to talk about um, what's happened in the last week, both on and off the circuit. Tinas, we'll begin with you. How did you find the steering Grand Prix weekend from
1: your perspective? Um, Underwhelming in some senses, but very intriguing in others. I think we were all looking forward to it being a bit of a rainy weekend, but lo and behold, not a single drop of moisture fell onto um, the the Red Bull ring over the whole weekend, which was quite disappointing um, during any of the sessions. Um, The race itself was... I wouldn't say a swashbuckling one and um, there wasn't tons of action up and down the field but i think it gave a very interesting indication as to you know the relative standings between the teams which drivers are doing well which drivers aren't and i think it's it's raised a lot of questions that we're probably going to discuss within the next hour or so
0: yeah nathan it's been on a circuit where we all love i mean a lot of us were felt disappointed that no rain came down on race day you know it would have brought up another challenge for the drivers but nevertheless we still got some fair good overtaking around the circuit both up and down the field.
2: Yeah absolutely uh, the, the forecast uh, as always well as, as has been the case recently Formula One uh, was rather de- deceiving but we had a uh, great action especially in the middle Part of uh, the pack, you know, with uh, Charles Leclerc's uh, crash with Pierre Gasly on the first lap, provided some great action in the midfield. It was relatively stable at the front of the field, but still raised some very interesting questions uh, throughout the weekend.
0: And no one was able to catch Max Verstappen on the day, and That guy was just far too quick for everyone else.
3: Perfect performance from Verstappen. Led every lap. Didn't look like he was going to lose it from turn one. It was just domination. The man's love affair with the red Bull ring continues, his third win at this circuit. And it just doesn't look like he can be stopped at the moment. He's driving out of his skin. His timing is perfect. His lap times are getting better. He's now becoming the go-to guy for qualifying. I think this has really been arguably Verstappen's best win in his Formula One career by far. Um, unfortunately, the hills weren't alive with the sound of thundering, um, as the old song goes. But we should expect another good race next time out in Austria. And I would be very keen to put my money on Verstappen repeating the feat again because he just looks in such good form
0: and he really has the edge over Hamilton and Bottas. And by achieving pole position on Saturday, it marks the first time that Red Bull had achieved back-to-back pole positions since 2013. So it's the first time in the V6 turbo hybrid era that Red Bull have taken back to their positions. It's also marked the first time in the V6 Turbo hybrid era that Mercedes have failed to win in four consecutive races. That's not happened before. The last time it would have done was in 2013 when Red Bull won nine in a row. But we'll go to the steering Grand Prix weekend and look at the results as to who finished where. Max Verstappen won out over Lewis Hamilton. Now Lewis made a second pit stop towards the end. Um, to get the fastest lap, which he did so. So zapping won out by 35 seconds ahead of his Championship rival. Valtteri Bottas was third, less than a second ahead of Sergio Perez. Landa Norris was fifth and a lap down, followed by Carlos Sainz in sixth for Ferrari and his teammate Charlotte coming home in seventh place after falling to the back of the field when he needed a new front wing after tapping uh, Pierre Gasly. Lance Stroll was eight for Aston Martin, more points for him. Fernando Alonso in ninth for Alpine and Yuki Sonoda bagging another point for the Alpha Tauri team in tenth. Kimi Räikkönen was eleventh for Alfa Romeo, then Sebastian Vettel in twelfth for Aston Martin. Danny Ricciardo, another disappointing race for him in thirteenth. Esteban Ocon in fourteenth, ahead of Antonio Giovinazzi. Mick Schumacher was sixteenth, a good effort from him actually, ahead of uh, Nicolas Atifi in seventeenth. Nikita Manspin was the last of the finishes in eighteenth and three laps down. George Russell was tied with engine issues. Pierre Gasly's damage was too much on the first lap for him to continue so you look at the field guys I mean, we'll begin with we'll have a look at Lewis Hamilton actually because he felt that Mercedes weren't going to be able to catch Red Bull um, on the day itself with its raw pace, Nathan we begin with you about Mercedes' weekend was it more the fact that it went wrong for them or it's just the fact that Red Bull were too quick
2: um I think in, in the end, Red Bull and certainly in the hands of Max Verstappen were, were just too quick uh, th- this weekend. Uh, in comparison to France, uh, Red Bull just, just had more pace. You know, nothing really that Mercedes could have done. Perhaps with Hamilton, uh, they were thinking, I think, about trying the two-stop strategy, but ultimately didn't. Uh, I don't think it would have made uh, any difference, even if they did, uh, as, as we saw with Sergio Perez. He couldn't even uh, beat Bottas at the end of the race. So not not much else that Mercedes could have thrown at it. I think uh, at the end of the day, Verstappen and Rebel were just faster this weekend.
0: Yeah, and further compounded, seen as by uh, Bottas's shenanigans in the pit lane on Friday, which earned him a three-place uh, grid drop and a couple of penalty points on his licence. But he was still able to recover and finishing third. So when you look back on it, it wasn't too bad of a weekend for the FIM.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I think this is one of bartas's best weekends so far this year. Not that that's necessarily such a high bar, unfortunately. But the thing is, he he did what he was supposed to. I just think, obviously, the the silly incident in fb two with with and and that you know what that resulted in a in a three place grid drop. is really not what Mercedes needed. I think this year, especially things like that, just have such a massive impact or a much bigger impact than you would, than you would think in, in the Dodger context of the championship, like you can't afford dropped points like that. And even though, yes, Valtteri did end up recovering to B3, which is a good performance by him, I think for him this year, every time that he beat Sergio for points, I think that should be pinned down probably as a good result by him, because we saw how far ahead Hamilton and Max were um, on, you know, just f- how far down the road they were during the race on Sunday. So it doesn't look like like Valtteri and and Sergio are going to really be able to challenge them on a consistent basis. So, but yeah, I think all around, he, he should walk away from the weekend feeling relatively satisfied, given where he started.
0: Mm-hmm. Ed, at least Mercedes came came away with second, third, and the fastest up, but Rebel was still able to outscore him. And I felt this was a weekend where Mercedes really needed to win and they didn't quite manage it.
3: They did need to win, and considering they had a clean sweep of last year's Austrian races, bearing in mind these, this year's cars are very much uh, similar clones to what we had with 2020, you would have thought Mercedes would have gone all out to try to win this weekend, uh, first race in Austria, but they just did not have the pace. I think it, came, it was very clear from the first practice session that Red Bull had the advantage. Uh, the package was better, the engine was better, albeit they were losing a little bit of time on the straights and Mercedes just doesn't keep up they just could not catch Verstappen or Perez you know if you think about it Bottas got a podium because of the fact that yes he had a good performance but how much did Perez's poor stop which took four seconds and caused Bottas to catch up play a part in the Mexican losing third place a tremendous amount so they needed to win they didn't They've salvaged what they can, which is a second, third and fastest lap in what could have been a very dismal day. But the cracks are starting to show at Mercedes. You could even see it in Hamilton's uh, demeanor and driving, the way he pushed on that last qualifying run and was making some rather bizarre errors, which we don't expect from Lewis Hamilton. You know, the seven time world champion, usually very cool, very calm behind the wheel. So something is up at Mercedes um, and they needed to win, they need to do better this weekend, otherwise it's, the gap is going to start piling up who knows, Verstappen could be starting to pull
0: just inches away now Yeah and there's still, there's still a lot of long way to go yet and, and a lot can still change and I think the summer break is going to be the time in which Mercedes are going to need to at least find some upgrades from anywhere or find something to improve the car which is going to enable Hamilton and Bottas to take the flight to Rebel between now and the end of the year and considering we've got maybe some circuits towards the end of the year, which aren't to begin with on the schedule for Formula One, that could end up being on the schedule. I mean, we've got Turkey coming up later in the year. We don't know for certain what's happening with Japan, Mexico, Brazil, Australia. We've got the new venue in um, in Saudi Arabia. And there's also the tweaks at Abu Dhabi, which are going to be there. So we're going to be in for quite a finale, actually, between now and the end of the year. And... It's gonna be very much either Rebel Mercedes going for victories. If the question is, will it be Lewis or will it be Max? That's another thing as well. Further down the field, Ferrari doing a really good job getting sixth and seventh with colour signs. He had a not so good qualifying, but recovered well in the race, as did Charles Leclerc as well. And Ed, we want to talk about Charles. I mean that incident with Gasly on the first lap. I mean Charles Leclerc went off the track at turn one and then as he rejoined. Or as they came to the left kink of turn two, Leclerc's front wing tapped um, Pierre Gasly's left rear, and that just totally compromised both drivers' races.
3: Yeah, it did, and it was all caused by the fact they went free wide into turn one. You can see on the replay Alonso is coming up alongside them both, and the clerk has to take the avoiding action, has to take the escape road. And it's a case really when you're in that battle running up to turn two, what do you do? Do you keep your foot in it, or do you chicken out? I don't think Leclerc is that kind of guy who backs out of the manoeuvre. I think he was committed. And unfortunately for both of them, it resulted in damage. And unfortunately for Charles, it was a front wing damage. With Gasly, it was a puncher. I do think that Charles, now that I've had another look at it, I initially I thought it was a racing incident. But I think Charles has to take a little bit more of the responsibility than Gasly uh, because of the fact that he... Tapped into to Gasly's uh, left front tire. It is a disappointing uh, start to we the weekend race, but he rebounded, and that's all that mattered for him. They needed points badly, um, but unfortunately, it's one of those instances at Red Bull Ring. It's a very tight circuit, and unfortunately, and as we've seen,
0: three into one don't go, and that was demonstrated by the start. And that exemplifies, Nathan, why. The race is not won on the first lap and you look at Leclerc, he touched his front wing at the back of Gasly and of course he had to come in for an extra stop at the end of lap one. But nevertheless, it was still a very comfortable performance from arguably one of your favourite drivers.
2: Yeah, it was a, was a good recovery drive after uh, that part of the race. But yeah, I agree with Ed that Shaw has to take uh, the bulk of the responsibility for that incident. and. While he is an exceptional racing driver, a really good um, qualifier, he does have a tendency to make these clumsy sorts of maneuvers, which he he really needs to iron out. But thereafter, I mean, he made the stop on the first lap, and then was very quick thereafter. At a complete reversal for Ferrari compared to poorer Car. Both drivers were were comfortable on their tires and were able to get the maximum out of the weekend, uh, find sixth and seventh place, and. To uh, close the gap to McLaren in the Championship?
0: Most certainly so. And how big of a, uh, how big of a result is this for Ferrari, Tinas, um, given that they scored no points at the weekend before in Paul Ricard? It was a very shocking performance from Ferrari, it has to be said. This was the re- result they needed.
1: No, 100%. I think they need to definitely, while they can, capitalise also on the fact that Alan Ricardo is still trying to get up to speed. In that McLaren because I think the big advantage that Ferrari has is that Carlos Sainz seems to have uh, equated himself very well with that car relatively quickly and he seems to be more or less on, on Charles's pace um, relatively consistently now which I think is a very big positive for them and the fact that they were able to score consistent points and I think they did end up outscoring McLaren slightly despite Norris's um, very very good performance again I think it's very very important for them and what like what we saw in Paul Ricard I think they are going to have tracks now and again where they might have some inherent limitations in their package that McLaren doesn't have which means they might have a couple of weekends where they are going to struggle a bit more so when they can collect points they need to and I think that they've done that
0: mm-hmm. so and you know maybe one day they could get if they could like get a victory or something or even a podium that would very much elevate their calls in catching McLaren anyhow Let's have a look at the driver's standings after round 8 out of 23 of the 2021 Formula One World Championship. Max Verstappen extends his lead at the top to 18 points over Lewis Hamilton, 156, playing 138. Sergio Perez is still third with 96. Landon Norris is in fourth with 86. Valtteri Bottas bagging another podium, his fourth third place of the season. He goes on to 74 points, so he's 12 points off Norris. Leclerc in 6th with 58. The Colour signs in 7th with 50. Pierre Gasly in 8th place on 37 after that non-finish. Dan Ricciardo in 9th with 34. Sebastian Vettel's run of points finishes came to an end at the weekend. He remains on 30 points in 10th. Fernando Alonso in 11th on 19 points. He's finished in the points in the last three races now. Lance Stroll in 12th in, with, with uh, 14 points, I should say. Eswan Nockland in 13th with 12. Yuki Sineda in 14th with 9. Kim Räikkönen and Antonio Givnazzi have one point each. George Russell, Mick Schumacher, Nikita Mazepin, and Nicholas Latifi have yet to score a point so far in 2021. In the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull have a 40-point margin over Mercedes. That's nearly the equivalent of a 1-2 finish. 252 points, playing 212. McLaren are in third, 120 points. They have 12 clear of Ferrari in fourth on 108. Alfa gap over Aston Martin has shrunk. Down to two points. Alpha Torre have 46, to Aston Martin's 44. Alpine are in 7th with 31, Alpha Romeo in 8th with 2. Williams and Haas are still yet to get out of the doldrums. So, no changes to the Constructors' Championship, guys, but the gouts seem to be shrinking a little bit, apart from Red Bull's battle with Mercedes, that's increased. Nathan, this is really vital for Red Bull now. They take advantage of the next few races because I feel that even though Mercedes may you know, deep inside, feel that they don't have the quickest car. The second half of the season is when I think it'll all click into gear for them.
2: Yeah, these next few races are, are definitely crucial for Red Bull to capitalise, to continue to, to build on the momentum that they've got after winning these last four Grand Prix. You know, uh, of course, th- this weekend coming up in Austria should be another solid weekend for them. Silverstone might be a bit harder, but then uh, Budapest, the uh, past, but before the summer break should be another good track for them. So continuing to, to build this momentum and and uh, to hopefully build the gap in the Constructor championship will be vital for them ahead of the second half of the season, where we'll see perhaps some more tracks that will be more suited to the Mercedes cars. And undoubtedly, Mercedes will be bringing upgrades come the second half of the year. And we'll see how, how the pace Uh, between the two cars progresses uh, towards the end of the year.
0: It's interesting that you touched on that, Nathan. Um, Tinas, I I don't know where you want to um, support Nathan's point there about Mercedes possibly bringing upgrades between now and the end of the year, but I've seen something that they are looking more towards 2022 as they don't want to introduce too much more on the 2021 car. What's your take on this?
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting because I'm very much of the view that I think Mercedes is sort of saying it is what it is. We're going to try and fine tune what we have try and see if we can you know figure out some things on the setup side and see if we can't unlock more from the package but a wolf quite unequivocally unequivocally said there's not much coming on this car for this year they've switched their focus to next year they aren't planning any big upgrades there's maybe one or two little bits coming within a couple of races but he's basically saying well Red Bull, they they pitching up to each Grand Prix with two or three trailers full of new parts. And I mean, that's on them if they want to you know, spend their money, their, their limited amount of money within the cost cap on chasing performance in this year. That's up to them. That's the decision that they take. But Mercedes are saying they're playing the long game. They're looking, you know, trying to seal a march beginning next year and then obviously carry that advantage for the two or three years thereafter. So I think it's an interesting... A, a, a very much an interesting dimension to this championship i think that we haven't seen um, a lot in previous years maybe in 2008 is the last time i can think of when we had um mclaren versus ferrari duking it out for the title and then obviously really struggled the next year with the big regulation change thereafter mm-hmm.
0: it's it's a really it's a pivotal time in that battle between um maybe not just with McCown and Ferrari, but also between AlphaTauri and Aston Martin in the fight over fifth position, because AlphaTauri didn't maximise the performance with Pierre Gasly. Of course, they were very unlucky because of the contact with Leclerc. But Aston Martin have gained ground on them. They have, yes, and especially with the results Vettel and Stroll churned out
3: over the past two or three weekends has been beneficial for Aston Martin. Getting back in that fight with AlphaTauri, AlphaTauri with the car they've got, we know that car is excellent we know how good it is we know we can see it fighting for the top five top six on its day they have squandered points recently especially in this weekend with Sonoda getting his grid penalty Gasly unfortunately being taken unfortunately being involved in that first lap incident with the clerk and it's really no surprising not surprising Aston Martin have caught up but I also believe Aston Martin's strategy team has played a major helping hand in getting this, to, getting them close to Alpha Tauri uh, if you look at the Baku strategy, how much that paid off for Vettel and got third place. And in Monaco especially, they let, kept Stroll out and kept Vettel out for a longish period. And it worked. They got a good haul of points. So strategy is a major benefit, turning out to be a
0: major helping hand for Aston Martin in that fight for sixth spot. Mm-hmm. And I just want to have a look at the, um, the weather forecast for Styria this weekend. I know we remember we were talking about in the week, oh, it's most definitely going to be a wet race we didn't have a single drop of rain. Well, I say a single drop. There were maybe a tiny few drops, but nothing significant. It says that on Friday, thunderstorms, Saturday, rain, Sunday, rain. But I bet we're going to end up having a, a dry weekend when we do get closer to the time, um, when we do get round um, Nathan. And do you think it is going to rain for the Austrian Grand Prix, or do you think it's just going to be a repeat of what we had at the Styrian Grand Prix? Um,
2: I'm no weather forecaster, but the The odds for Formula One is that it will probably be another dry weekend. You know, um, fair to say, but you know, let's let's see what happens. It w- it, it would be good to have a, a bit of uh, water this weekend, as uh, of course we know kind of roughly the pecking order for this this track uh, for
0: for this year. So having a bit of rain would would certainly spice up the action. Most certainly. So, Tinas, maybe sound like a, a silly question to you. Do you want rain?
1: I do I do want rain I think just think it's like I'm trying to think of a good analogy here it's like parents promising you know you're going to get a sweetie when you get home and then you just don't get anything ever for two years it's very frustrating and somebody needs to explain to me how it's possible that the forecast can be so wrong so consistently like why bother why are we why are we going through the trouble of trying to predict the weather if it's just never correct so, I mean, we already see that. Um, I think we saw a forecast, as you mentioned, that, that this weekend, it's rain is forecast. So, I, I expect a beautiful, sunny a sunny weekend um, with birds chirping. You know, you can see the heat haze on the tarmac. That's what I'm expecting. And, I mean, at least we're getting, um, we're getting a different set of tyres. I think we're getting softer tyres this weekend. So, that might throw in a bit of a, a curveball, maybe, with how the teams treat the different tyres. So let's, let's wait and see. At rain for this weekend,
0: are we going to maybe get a repeat of a may- I was thinking on Sunday, are we going to get repeats of an Imola deluge? And it happens
3: uh, now. Uh, be honest with you, if we have rain in uh, Austria, then donkeys will be flying. Um, the weather forecast is usually unpredictable, Formula One, and I don't believe we will have rain or thunderstorms this weekend. So I don't believe we'll be having Imola deluge. I believe that Tinas may be right with this one we will have a nice sunny Austrian afternoon where the hills are alive the mountains are shining and the lederhosen is out and about yeah
0: not the rain max yeah. <laughs> and um and one difference to take note of for this weekend is that um, the Thai compounds will be the C3 C4 and C5 which is a step higher or a step softer than what we had for the steering grand prix weekend when we had the C2 C3 and C4 so that's something to um to take that into uh, consideration. Let's go on to some news stories, guys, over the course of the last week. We'll begin with Silverstone because the British Grand Prix has been given the green light for full capacity. So, organisers of next month's Formula 1 British Grand Prix have been given approval to welcome back a full capacity crowd, which could stretch to 140,000 fans. The UK government delayed its roadmap from June the 21st to July the 19th, the day after the British Grand Prix, owing to the ongoing pandemic, putting Silverstone's plans at risk. Several events in the country, most notably the ongoing Euro 2020 Championships, and next week's Wimbledon Championship have been included as part of the government's events research programme. On Thursday, it was announced that the British Grand Prix will also be part of the events research programme. Silverstone outlined that specific details will be provided to ticket holders in the coming days. All those who attend will be required to show proof of a negative lateral flow test taken within 48 hours or proof of full vaccination with the second dose having been received at least two weeks beforehand. This is something we have all been working towards for months and I cannot wait to welcome a full capacity crowd back to Silverstone this July," said Silverstone Managing Director Stuart Pringle. Many of our fans rolled their tickets over from 2020, but they are now well-placed to enjoy what is sure to be one of the highlights of the summer. It's set to be the second event after next weekend's Austrian Grand Prix to feature a capacity crowd. It is fantastic news that Silverstone will be a full capacity event and will be an incredible weekend with hundreds of thousands of fans being there to see our first ever sprint event on the Saturday and the main event on Sunday," said Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali. I want to express my huge appreciation to the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Secretaries of State Oliver Dowden, and Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster Michael Gove, and Silverstone's Managing Director Stuart Pringle for their tireless work to achieve this great outcome. All of the drivers and the teams are hugely looking forward to Silverstone And we can't wait to be there in July. So it's a full capacity crowd, guys, for Silverstone. And do we back the idea? Because I think at some point, you know, whether it's the British Grand Prix or Wimbledon or the Euros, something needs to be tested and trialed, um, given what's happening with the pandemic right now. Ed, we begin with you on this.
3: Well, as we all remember last year, Silverstone was one of, a few venues, one of the many venues that had to host races behind closed doors, two Grand Prix. In fact, albeit there was some fans, uh, some protesters broke in and were quickly quickly uh, thrown out by security. Um, for me personally, I am bordering on the. I am mixed feelings about this. Yes, I'm happy to see a full crowd. Yes, I'm full happy. I'm full of happiness to see a real the vibrant atmosphere for this year's British Grand Prix after a year away from the racetracks. Um, But there is, of course, you have to board on the side of caution. This is one of the first uh, sporting events to have a full capacity crowd uh, at a sporting event really since March 2020. So it's going to be a cautious one for Formula One. I just hope that all precautions are taken and that everyone there uh, obeys the rules, is cautious with how they... Uh, treat their weekend if it is a case where this works and we have a full uh, capacity uh, this weekend and as well we're going to have a full capacity this weekend in Austria then I can't see Formula One not exactly say Formula One not exactly saying to races you can only have a certain amount of fans barring of course some restrictions so it could be the start of normality returning to the Formula One world and we're having full stands for races such as Spa, Monza, Zandvoort. They are openly very, very keen to have a race with full grandstand. So it's good news for British motorsport considering Silverstone was in the financial red uh, last year. But I just hope that it isn't too early. But we shall see uh, what happens.
0: Yeah. Tinas, as a South African, how do you feel about Silverstone being given the green light for a full capacity crowd? Because I'm very much not sure whether it's a good idea for this to be happening right now. But from a standpoint of Stuart Pringle, the managing director, it sounds like a financial decision that he's going to need to allow so many fans in as he can.
1: Yeah, I mean, my first sort of initial feeling is a feeling of jealousy, I'll be very honest. Um, I think it's... And on the one side, I think it's amazing that, you are, that the UK is at that stage where they can consider, where they can start considering having events like this again, like with Wimbledon and, and with the cup final and then also with Silvestone. With regards to, you know, whether I think they should go ahead with it or not, honestly, I don't really have that much of an opinion, given um, I'm not 100% sure or well-read enough on exactly what the situation is in the UK with regards to vaccination sounds like it's progressing very nicely sounds like it has definitely contributed to a massive improvement with the overall situation of the pandemic in the UK so from that standpoint i think it sounds like you know it's moving in the right direction um over here it's a disaster so i mean i think it's good to be included in, in a trial event like this at least it sounds like you know it's it's going to be in the outdoors there's going to be opportunity for people to you know observe the the, the relevant restrictions and make sure that all of those are adhered to so yeah i'm, I'm going to be curious to see how it all how it all plays out
0: yeah and nathan i mean normally a couple of weeks before the supposed date for the easing of restrictions we would get an announcement whether it is going ahead as it planned or it may be pushed further back like it had so recently um, from the government do you think that Silverstone do, I don't know what you think about it but I, I'm still very much on the fence whether it's the right decision or not I mean it's great to see so many fans going but it's just the aftermath of it and how it affects the world
2: yeah absolutely um, I'm on the same page really have mixed emotions about it you know on, on the one hand it's great to see a capacity crowd back at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix and especially for the BRDC and for Silverstone they've lost so much money over the, the past 12 months that they really need the ticket sales for carrying over from last year and new ticket holders for, for this year in order to get the money back for hosting two Formula One races last year and the British Grand Prix for this year but at the same time The the situation in the UK is still quite precarious with rising numbers of cases of coronavirus at the moment. Uh, So I hope everyone takes care. And while the vaccination program is progressing very nicely, um, we still need to be vigilant and hopefully that everyone that attends the event that we don't see a huge spike in COVID cases afterwards. So yeah, let's hope that there isn't a negative consequence of, of this decision.
0: You know, I mean, we are in the summer at the moment and cases in the UK are um, are increasing each and every day. So I just hope that doesn't affect the plans of um, what the government decides to go for, because, you know, this is not perhaps the the worst time that the UK is going through. I mean, I remember back six months ago where, you know, the cases were just radically increasing and um, the government didn't have much choice but to put it into lockdown at the time. I just hope we don't get that again um, heading into the autumn. Coming away from Silverstone, we go on to Turkey next, that is being called in to replace Singapore on the 2021 Formula 1 calendar. So Formula 1 has announced the reinstatement of Turkey on a revised 2020, uh, 2021 calendar, taking the dates previously held by Singapore. So Turkey returns the schedule in 2020 as part of the pandemic hit calendar with Istanbul Park holding a rain hit event in mid-November. Turkey was not included on the original 2021 schedule, but was subsequently added in place of Canada's round on June the 13th. However, that event was called off due to the UK's travel restrictions, prompting a further reshuffling of the calendar and the addition of a second Austrian round. It was announced earlier this month that Singapore's street-based event planned for October the 3rd will no longer take place due to entry restrictions into the city-state. Formula One has now revealed that Turkey has been restored on the 2021 calendar in the berth previously occupied by Singapore. Turkey remains on the UK's red list, but its inclusion as the second part of a triple header event, beginning with Russia and concluding with Japan, means UK-based personnel would only have to prolong their stay in Japan by a couple of days in order to evade hotel quarantine, assuming current rules remain in place. Nonetheless, Japan's events remain shrouded in uncertainty, owing to tight entry restrictions into the country. Japan is preparing to host the Summer Olympics, set to begin in Tokyo in late July, but is doing so amid tight restrictions and widespread criticism in the country. MotoGP organizers earlier in the week canceled its planned visit to Motegi in October, citing ongoing uncertainty regarding travel and logistical limitations. In a statement, Formula One outlined that after discussions with other promoters, we are confident that we will be able to travel to the following race in Japan under our strict safety protocols. Formula One added that a significant proportion of the F1 community has been vaccinated already. We are confident that that all will have had the opportunity to do so by the end of the summer. It is understood that a return to China remains a backup alternative if Formula One is unable to travel to Japan. Other events in the latter stages of the campaign are still uncertain, most notably Mexico, Brazil and Australia, with a second event at Austin having been muted. The United Arab Emirates, which hosts the season finale at Abu Dhabi's Yas Marina circuit, remains on the UK's red list. We are delighted to be coming back to Turkey to intercity Istanbul Park circuit, said Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali. We hope to see another fantastic race again in one of the best tracks in the world. We have shown that we can continue to adapt and there is huge interest in our sports and the hope from many locations to have a Grand Prix. We've had very good conversations with all the other promoters since the start of the year and continue to work closely with them during this period. So, is it going to be second time lucky for Turkey, guys? Is that going to finally, well, I say finally host a Grand Prix, it hosted the Grand Prix last year, but Tinas, do d think Turkey will ultimately host its
1: race on October the 3rd. I think so. I think I think it's going to happen. Um, if it happened last year in the way that I think, I see no reason why this year it won't happen. I think, uh, especially the, like the European countries are now in a much better position when it comes to vaccinations. You've mentioned that you know the the F one circus itself has is, is a large portions of them have already been vaccinated, which I think also helps. So I think the question then more becomes whether there's going to be crowds allowed at the racetrack or not. Um, and I guess we'll only know that close to the time. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited to, to 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 watch Turkey. I love that track, and I mean, last year we got a very exciting race. Um, it was a bit of a unique one, the surface at that point, the recently resurfaced tarmac. Maybe this year we'll see a bit more of a traditional race at Turkey, which I'm all. I mean, I'm all, I'm going to be there for it. I used to love watching race, racing there, so I'm I'm pretty excited.
0: Yeah, Nathan, you must be as excited as Tina is for um, Istanbul Park being given the opportunity on October the 3rd. And I think the good news with that is it's got more time to potentially ease its restrictions before Form One goes, uh, does go there.
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty solid to be in that slot on the calendar. Of course, uh, it was put earlier in the year uh, next to Baku, but due to logistical reasons that couldn't take place, but yeah, very much looking forward to the return of Istanbul Park uh, this year. It hosted a, a really great race last year and looking for more of the same this year. So, yeah, it should be a really good race and uh, a decent replacement after, of course, slightly disappointing that Singapore couldn't host the race, but we've, we've got a great alternative.
0: Yeah. And a quick question to you, Ed. Do you want a, w- a wet race on a newly resurfaced track like we had last year, or do you prefer a dry race to see the cars go flying through that famous Turn 8? Let's have a mixture.
3: I fancy I fancy a little bit of a wet practice and then a dry qualifying race. Um, just adding on to what the guys have said, I am happy to see Turkey back, that they will get that second bite of the cherry and be on the full one calendar again. I hope with fans this time because I feel that Turkey is a wonderful country and Istanbul is a wonderful city and it would be a crying shame if we could not get anyone in the stands for the Grand Prix. It would be nice. Um, I just hope... The surface is finally settled. to be honest with you. I don't think we need the slip and slide that we saw last year. As much as it was a good race, this time I just hope it's much more settled. So, yeah, I mean, it's great to see Turkey back. Hopefully we get a few more uh, replacement races and hopefully we can see Turkey uh, springboard itself onto the calendar for 2022, because I think it would be a massively good addition uh, to the Formula One Circus having a race back in that part of the world. So hopefully for the Turkish promoters they can find some money together and find themselves on the calendar for 22 and onwards
0: yeah and I don't know what other events Istanbul Park is staging at the moment it's going to be more like local um, racing but I just think with the newly service that was brought in last year obviously it was a, a challenge like no other for the Formula One drivers but I'd like to think that new service is rubbered in properly now and that by the time Form One does go there at the beginning of October it'll be a completely different it'll be like Pretty much back to normal so i would love to see the current Formula One cars go through the fast corners i just think it'd be really satisfying pretty like Mugello because Mugello has a lot of um, fast corners through there and the way the Formula One cars went through there last year particularly in qualifying was just unreal particularly Lewis Hamilton's pole position that absolutely sensational so Turkey on the Formula One calendar for October the 3rd provisionally at least anyway but we are hopeful they will remain there Uh, by the time Formula One does go there in a few months' time. From Turkey to Russia. Now, the Russian Grand Prix is to change venues from the 2023 season. Now, Formula One's Russian Grand Prix will move to the Autodrome Igora Drive near St. Petersburg from uh, from 2023, it's been confirmed. Formula One visited Russia in 2014 at a facility constructed around the venues that were utilised for the Winter Olympics adjacent to the Black Sea in Adler. Sochi Autodrome has since been included on the calendar each year but on Saturday it was announced that Igora Drive will take over the hosting duties of Russia's Formula 1 round from 2023. Igora Drive, designed by Hermann Tilke, was constructed in 2017 and last year received an FIA Grade 1 licence as it targeted attracting leading motorsport categories. The anti-clockwise 4.086 kilometre circuit which features 14 corners is located around 50 kilometres from St. Petersburg. The circuit is part of a complex that also has a motocross and rally cross track, a karting facility and a driving safety centre. Igora Drive was due to host a round of the DTM Championship in 2020, but this was cancelled due to the pandemic, meaning the circuit has yet to hold an international event. I am pleased to confirm following joint inst- intensive work with our Russian partners and detailed assessments of Igora Drive. Formula One will be racing at that amazing circuit from 2023, Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali said. I am impressed by St. Petersburg and believe that the Russian Grand Prix at Drive will be an incredible event. Igora Drive has several influential members on its advisory committee, most notably Alexander Drosdenko, the governor of the Leningrad region, and businessman Gregory Bereskin, chairman of the ESN Group. ESM Group is a private equity firm that has investments in numerous industries, including media, energy, infrastructure, and the petrochemical sector, and has previously entered into business partnerships with Russia's Sovereign Wealth Fund. So Formula One is going to have a new home in Russia in Igora Drive, guys, and Stefano Domenico is saying it'll be an amazing circuit for Formula One. Are you inclined to agree with that, Nathan?
2: It looks, it looks to be a decent track, in, in fairness, you know. I think it, it will be an improvement on uh, the Sochi Autodrome that we currently use. A decent, uh, an uh, OK circuit for uh, Russia as a, as a first venue, but Agora Drive looks certainly to be an improvement. Got some decent medium-speed corners and more places to overtake, so hopefully it, it should be certainly an improvement for the Russian Grand Prix for Formula 1. To, to have some better racing around there than we've seen
0: uh, at Sochi. Yeah, and with more and more dr- Russian drivers getting involved in motorsport, Ed, I mean, going right down to even to Karting. I mean, there's a fair few in Formula 4 at the moment. Obviously, there's a few in Formula 3. There's even one or two in um, Formula 2. And of course, Nitekid's must have been in Formula 1. You have to say, for Formula 1 to continue going to Russia, it's pretty much it's pretty much a sensible decision given the money involved in it as well.
3: Yes, it is. And also the fact that it's a multi-complex venue. You've got the kart track, the rally circuit, the motocross circuit, the driver training centre. It's perfect, really. And I think as well to get away from Sochi is a benefit for Formula One. I think the problem is with Sochi is that it's a logistical uh, nightmare to get to. And it's a pretty terrible circuit, if I'm being honest with you. It is not uh, particularly a place where you can overtake. There's very few uh, corners that are noticeable. So a change was necessary for Formula One to build on its growing fan base in Russia uh, that has seen like Danny Kvyat and Nikita Mazepin represent the country at the highest level of motorsport. I also believe it made legit marketing sense to host a race near uh, such a prestigious city such as St. Petersburg which has uh, been I believe nicknamed Venice of the West. So you'll be getting people from all over Eastern Europe you'll be getting people from Europe. In, Northern Europe, uh, Southern Europe and visitors from all over the globe who will have experienced the city from the World Cup they hosted nearly three years ago. So to host a race in St. Petersburg which is easy to get get to and will surely be much more, uh, will have much more to do than Sochi which unfortunately suffered through the fact that it was in a rather uh, isolated part of the country. So. I think this is good news, for Formula 1. It's good news for Russian motorsport. It's a win-win, really. And the circuit, uh, which has been, I believe, nicknamed a squash-coater, uh, would be an excellent addition to Formula 1 as the drivers need a challenge. And unfortunately, Sochi
0: wasn't bringing that. Mm-hmm. Tina, um, I don't know if you've seen the Agora Drive circuit. I've seen um, some like local racing that they did um, last year. And the winding sort of chicane part, not the last one, the one in the first half of the lap, I mean that reminded me a little bit of um do you remember the Bud International Circuit in India? That was what sprung to my mind uh, when you look at it. And I think when you watch the Formula One cars go there, you know, through the medium speed corners, I think it's going to look spectacular.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I haven't worked through the track with a fine-tooth comb, but it looks like a pretty neat circuit all around. I mean, it's it has a tried and tested designer, Mr. Tilka. I mean, we can. Decide whether that that's a good or a bad thing maybe in a different conversation um but it looks relatively decent it for some reason it gave me like Nürburgring vibes as well like the Nürburgring Grand Prix track just sort of in its general layout so I mean again anything is an improvement from Sochi at, at this point I was I'm inclined to say no race was an improvement just is an improvement to Sochi so um i think it's i think it's pretty exciting i'm pretty sad that it's only it's 2023 i think that it's that it's gonna host its first race so it means we have two more years of pain but you know what we will be strong we will endure and then hopefully in 2023 we have a nice first race at the agora
0: or what is it the, the agora drive autodrome the agora drive
1: autodrome yes yeah. it's gonna be good
0: yeah so will be on the calendar from 2023, meaning that Sochi will host this year's and next year's um, races as planned. So away from Russia, back to what's been going on track. Um, the FIA is not to tolerate a repeat of Verstappen's victory celebrations. Now the FIA's um, Race director Michael Massey has warned Max Verstappen and Red Bull that he won't tolerate a repeat of the Dutchman's victory celebrations at future races. Verstappen won the steering Grand Prix in dominant fashion on Sunday and celebrated by slowing down on the start-finish straight before doing a burnout as his mechanics waved on. He left two thick black lines of rubber over the finish line as other cars passed by. While celebrating in such a fashion isn't against the rules, drivers often complete donuts to celebrate. Massey explained that the location of Verstappen's celebration was considered dangerous and he warned both parties that it shouldn't be repeated. It was not an ideal situation, which is why I spoke to the team immediately and told them accordingly that it's something that would not not be tolerated in the future, Massey said when questioned after the race. The rules outline what is acceptable when celebrating, with Article 43.3 of the sporting regulations explaining that they must be a performed safely and does not endanger other drivers or any officials, B does not call into question the legality of his car and C does not delay the podium ceremony. Verstappen took his fourth win of the season to extend his championship lead over main title rival Lewis Hamilton to 18 points. Ed we begin with your thoughts on this and I can see where Michael Massey is coming from with this and you don't want to see drivers in their way over the line when there's other drivers still potentially racing you know you've got two drivers sort of going you know a drug race to the line and you've got a driver celebrating over the line and they're just overtaking him that is probably why he's come out and said this to the Red Bull team he has a slight point
3: yes if it was endangering uh, Hamilton or the, bo- the third place battle then I can see why and yes there is a point that it was a little bit tight but at the heat in the moment what can you you know, that's, you know, he's just won a race by leading every lap. He's dominated. Of course, he's going to celebrate like that. Um, But if you look at the contrast, for example, MotoGP, Fabio Guattararo was literally firing golf balls off the runoff area with a golf club after winning his race. In contrast, you know, Formula One, you're having a very unhappy Michael Massey. I feel drivers should be allowed to celebrate how they want, like whether it's a donut, whether it's, you know, a national flag waving out of the car. So it's a kind of a case where you can see where he's coming from. He's got a point, but at the same time, you really want to—you know—the sport is all about showing emotion when you've won a race or when you've got a podium or a points finish. I would still like to see that, and I think by banning it or putting a—you know—warning is counterproductive uh, in that sense. So I'm I'm on the fence really with this one.
0: Tinas, your, your your perspective on this, and I'm pretty much mixed because we don't want to see drivers being hit from behind by another driver. You know, we've seen it before on cold down. That's not to mention um, Lance and Sebastian Bethel in Malaysia in 2017. But do you think Mass is going a bit too far with this? And the last thing you want is a race director spoiling a team's occasion of winning a race.
1: Yeah, I'm sort of neither here nor there on the whole thing. Um, I don't particularly feel he was being very reckless. I think this is probably one of those things where you would assess it, I would think, on a case-by-case basis and just say, you know what, was Hamilton two seconds behind him? No. was Latifi, I think, was already passed by the time that he crossed the finish line. And I think what riled people up over this was the fact that Michael Massey unfortunately has been quite inconsistent with just his application of the rules in general, where he comes down like a guillotine on some things, like for example, with, with what happened with Max. But then on other things, he's quite lackadaisical about things. Like he's, I mean, think about what happened with the Tableau and Baku. We didn't have a safety car for almost a minute or more than a minute while, I mean, Lance Stroll's entire Aston Martin was was scattered across the main street. So I, do, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, what he's doing. If he wants to come down hard on it and he wants to take a, a safety stance, then feel free to do it. But then he must take that hard stance consistently. And I think that's what's um, frustrating a lot of people at the moment about the way he's going about his... um his job and other examples as well nathan remember last
0: year turkey i think it was beginning of q2 when it when q2 started they were still recovering a car at turn eight michael massey allowed that to happen at imola last year under the safety car marshals were still clearing debris and lance Stroll nearly hit them and i think also um i think Monaco it was in 2019 you know when the race was done and Sergio Perez was crossing the line, he nearly hit Marshall. So there's a lack of. I think Tina is right. Actually, he's been lackadaisical about it, and he's. It's almost like he's trying to find excuses for the mistakes he's allowing to happen. If that was Charlie Whiting, he wouldn't. He wouldn't hold back with his views on it, and he would calm down on it.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree that. Michael Massey has been a bit inconsistent and he needs to uh, set, just, just, just be clear, just, just be clear on what is allowed and what isn't allowed, you know, uh, if we even just look back earlier to the year, track limits in Bahrain, you know, for, for most of the race, you were allowed to exceed track limits at Turn 4 and then you weren't, so he needs to be consistent on, on everything and just set out what is allowed, what isn't allowed in terms of safety, in terms of the way drivers are meant to conduct themselves on the circuit, and then we know where we stand. On on Max's burnout, I didn't really see too much of a problem with it. You know, uh, he he just won a race, uh, dominated the whole thing, won by 35 seconds. So if he wants to celebrate like that, let him. Every driver is unique, and if you are regulating how drivers are allowed to celebrate, that they have to do donuts or... Um, celebrate once they've got back to the pit lane then you kind of lose that sense of personality from each of the drivers so yeah um, Massey needs to establish what what is allowed and what isn't allowed and then the teams and drivers will act accordingly <laughs>
0: And something else which the FIA is clamping down, actually, is the super quick pit stops from the Hungarian Grand Prix onwards. So the FIA will implement new rules from the Hungarian Grand Prix in a bid to slow down Form 1 pit stops, which have hit record breaking speeds. Teams have been pushing their procedures to the absolute limits in an attempt to shave milliseconds off their pit stop times in the hope of making up places on track. And one team in particular, Red Bull, has managed sub two second stops consistently. The team holds the record for the fastest ever stop at just 1.82 seconds, completed during the 2019 Brazilian Grand Prix. Whilst they've not matched that time since, Red Bull has completed the quickest stop at five of the seven races this season so far, or maybe eight if uh, the stop of either Verstappen or Perez are applied. By the way, the best time is 1.93 seconds. The FIA is taking action on the grounds of safety by issuing a technical, a new technical directive which will come into force for the Hungarian Grand Prix. The new technical directive will ensure human reaction times are adhered to, ensuring teams simply aren't relying on their equipment to complete the job without it being checked before the car is given the green lights to exit its pit box. The wording of the technical directive suggests that the FIA believes some level of automation is taking place and that going forward teams pit stop procedures must have a tolerance built in that allows for human reaction times in signalling. The changes won't add a significant amount of time however, but it'll likely be enough to ensure a sub-two-second stop isn't seen again. The figures include an additional reaction time of 0.15 seconds from the wheel nuts being observed as tight before the signal is passed to the Jackman to drop the car, then a further 0.2 seconds before the car is released. Teams have been given two more races after the um, steering Grand Prix we just had to prepare the changes, meaning the Austrian and British Grand Prix will be unaffected. Although the FIA insists it isn't targeting one single team, Mercedes' total wolf recently commented on the speed of Red Bull's pit stops, which Mercedes have been unable to match. So, another one of which the FIA is clumping down, guys pit stops. Are they too quick? Nathan, we begin with you. Surely
2: this is what Fallen One is all about. You know, um, every time I, I watch a Fallen One pit stop, I'm amazed of it being the, the most. High-profile example of teamwork, and if if we are to be the sport that keeps pushing and keeps uh, pushing the envelope of performance, then how does slowing down pit stops fit into that? Of course, you have to consider safety within uh, the the realms, but you know teams that uh, overstep pay the ultimate price. If a wheel isn't fastened properly, then they have to retire the car at the end of the day. So. It's a, I don't know. I I do understand that perhaps there are some safety concerns with wheels. um, In 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 the pit lane is, of course, highly uh, unsafe. But I think it's it's a bit on Formula One to have a a regulation and to have a a regulated time of uh, uh, 0.35 seconds of added time to each full-on pit
0: stop, but uh, that's, that's the way I see it. Tinas, I mean, we all like fast pit stops nowadays. I mean, this is pretty much contrast to uh, what happened a long time ago, where we used to have refueling, you know, something like seven, eight seconds, maybe a little bit more than that, which is no issue. Now the FIA are wanting to come down on the speed of it. Um, so we, we'll, we're interested to get your views on this particular matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting um, how it all came about. I think, yes, the FIA is saying it's for safety reasons. And I'm sure they have an argument to say that, I mean, the the degree of automation that's currently in place the top teams with regards to pit stops is, at the end of the day, could lead to some sort of incident. And they're saying they, they, they are acting sort of... Uh, in, in, in a way, they're, they're acting actively, if I can call it that, and not passively. And I think that was also the issue with um, the system itself, because as far as I'm aware, the rules actually do say that you're not allowed to have equipment that actively assist you in fulfilling the pit stops and, and making it quicker. I think the, the, the word that they use there is passive. And I think that's sort of where the technical directive came down to, where they said, and my understanding is also that a team, I mean, we probably know which one, inquired with the FIA and asked, if they were to develop a system like this of their own, would it be allowed? And then the FIA said, no. And I think that's where the issue came in, where they then said, okay, but then if that's not allowed then to be very clear about it, and then that's where the technical directive came from. And that's been something that's been in the sport for a very long time. I mean, we saw what happened with the Ferrari engines in 2019 where it was also a range of inquiries into what an engine is allowed, not allowed to do, which resulted in a technical directive telling them explicitly X is not allowed. And that's what happened with the pit stops. So I think, yes, it might not be in the spirit of, of going as fast as possible, but then I think we more need to look at what is allowed within the rules and what isn't, because I think the rules at the moment says probably you're not allowed to do something like that, where you have, these integrated systems that effectively dictate when things happen in, and, and sort of the sequence of events without any human input.
0: Mm-hmm. With this new technical directive that the FIA are looking to introduce for pit stops said, how are they going to do it? Because what if there are like six or seven pit stops happening at the same time?
3: It does beg the question, I mean how are you going to stop them? Is there going to be like a little uh, button at the bottom where the dry, where the mechanic is working to change the tire, which go red, and then when it's fine, it will go green. Or If they do it too quick, will it go back red again? They have to repeat it. Um, I'm not sure. I think I know this, all the sensors also go off in the helmet. Maybe they will go on like a little watch, possibly where it goes red and then green, and then it can go. We've seen in the past, ever since pit stops became really an innovative it's, pit stops have been part of Formula One's history since it began in 1950 and we've seen it evolutionize We've gone from pit stops where it would take three or so seconds um, and the mechanics would be in shorts and t-shirts with a cigarette in the mouth ready to go and then release it into a pit lane which was unlimited and these drives would go bulleting out of the pit lane. We've had refuelling. It really cannot... The bottom line is it's not just about a drive, the driver, it's about the team. And the mechanics are the most important part of the team. They build the cars and they also change the tires where need be, when the drive wants to come in. Just a split second can change a race in the pits. And by holding them up, I, I think it kind of starts to defeat the object of it. If you want to slow them down, perhaps you bring back the lollipop man who stands at the front of the car and then they lift it, if you're that concerned, maybe you think about uh, other stuff, other uh, ideas possibly, but whatever that needs to be, maybe following uh, the footsteps of Formula 2, of how they conduct their pit stops. But I am, I'm not sure how they're going to work it. I'm not sure how the, you know, the teams are going to bait it for a start because you're in heat at the moment, you're changing the tyres, there's a lot going on. You really don't need a sense of going off on the floor when you're midway through a child change. It's it's going to be difficult. And I'm really, I'm not sure how it'll last. It will maybe last to the end of the season. Will it become uh, a full-time rule in 2022? I doubt it. So it's interesting. um, And it adds more spice to the championship rivalry and the feud between Horner and Wolf that this has now come about when red bull of producing these under
0: two second pit stops so it's interesting and it adds another storyline very much adding another storyline so everything that we've seen so far this season it was pretty much the limbo wing um ago, it must feel like a long time ago since we discussed it but now it's uh coming down on pit stops which will come into effect from the hungarian grand prix onwards another story which we will go on to guys is portion audi who will join the f1 engine meeting in austria on July the 3rd. So the Red Bull Ring will host a technical meeting to discuss the future of Formula One's power units on July the 3rd ahead of the Austrian Grand Prix, which will include bosses from several major manufacturers. F1 is set to replace its current 1.6 litre V6 hybrid power units from 2025 and discussions have been ongoing to determine what the future power unit should look like. Whilst it's unlikely to be a major departure from what is currently powering the sport, F1 bosses are keen to reduce its complexity and development costs to attract new manufacturers. This could be achieved by dropping the complex MGUH and relying solely on the MGUK for electric energy. There will likely be a move to standard parts to bring costs down and this meeting is aimed at deciding what direction to go in that would satisfy the most parties. The meeting, which takes place on the Saturday of the Austrian Grand Prix, will involve the current manufacturers Daimler chairman Ola Kaline, uh, Kaline, Kaline, sorry, Ola Kaline, I should say, Renault CEO Luca Di Maio, Ferrari's John Elkin and rebel owner Dietrich Mateschitz, as well as F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali, motorsport director Ross Braun and outgoing FIA president Jean Tott. Also involved in the meeting will be Porsche CEO Oliver Bloom and Audi's Marcus Duesman. The Volkswagen Group, VAG, which covers Porsche and Audi, have previously been involved in engine discussions, which ultimately didn't result in them joining the championship, though they came very close to a deal with Red Bull prior to the Dieselgate scandal, which cost the manufacturer billions in fines and forced the company to scale back. There's hope these latest talks will persuade one of Volkswagen's brands to become involved as an engine supplier to replace Honda, which will depart at the end of the current season. Although Red Bull will continue to use its power units up until 2025, it hasn't yet committed to anything beyond that. The talks will centre on determining what is the best way forward for Formula One. The base power unit will remain a V6 running eco-fuels, but will likely utilise a larger battery for increased energy recovery. There's also been hints that F1 could look at four-wheel drive with an electric motor powering the front wheels. So, we seem to be getting another talks meeting um, between the likes of Porsche and Audi and all those who are currently in Formula One. Ed, I know you're into sort of looking at manufacturers yourself. Um, we want your say on this.
3: Firstly, I was surprised when I saw Porsche, sorry, Audi, and, uh, Audi and Porsche on the list. We, Audi have never been involved in Formula One since the 1930s when they were called Auto Union. And Porsche were last involved with footwork in 91, with that disastrous engine, which blew up frequently and was a bit of a disaster. So it is surprising to see them back on the list. I wouldn't take these rumours too much. I think it's good to see them involved, but they really need to make a commitment. I think ideally by the end of 2021 or mid-part 2022, before we can start really believing that Volkswagen group are going to be involved in Formula One and want to be involved in Formula One uh, because they've been close And when the turbo era was starting they were interested but of course dieselgate uh, put an end to that I think personally the best way that both Porsche and Audi can get involved in Formula One is either starting the program by 2022-23 and then develop it fully for 24 so it can be ready for 2025 or potentially starting their own team Formula One is desperately short of teams there's only 10 so I don't think a manufacturer team would hurt uh, whether that be Porsche or Audi entering that is still yet to be seen and also it gives the VW group an idea on what it can and can't do with this engine before they start negotiating with Red Bull and its sister team AlphaTauri so it is exciting news but I don't believe we should be already panning the articles, Porsche and Audi join Formula One in 2025. There is still a long way to go. And before we even think about uh, what could happen with Red Bull and Alphatari we need to see what they do with their engine programme for 2022 onwards.
0: So exciting news, but nothing to get ahead of ourselves. I perfectly agree. And Tina, I mean, we've seen either teams around engine manufacturers seeing about joining Formula One in the next few years. But for 2025, when there's nothing set in stone in terms of what the regulations are necessarily going to be, I mean, Porsche now would most certainly join, Porsche now they join the Formula One um, grid really as either an engine manufacturer or as a works team. It, I think it's something that Formula One needs with the lack of opportunities going on.
1: Yeah, and I think even, and I mean, we've heard whispers about Porsche over I don't know how many years now there's always rumors about Porsche or Volkswagen or Audi being interested or sniffing around F1 and even if they don't join as a team I think what would be very valuable and I guess a meeting like what we're going to have this weekend is, is sort of the start of that what would be very valuable is at least get input from outside parties for information as to what would make f1 attractive to a manufacturer like that because at the end of the day i think the new regulations need to be tailored towards that what is something that would attract an audi or even you know somebody in general motors why not a ford or chevrolet or any or anyone like that so even if we don't end up getting porsche Audi, in f1 i think they can at least provide a bit of a blueprint to whoever does end up you know coming up with, with with the new engine regs and i guess new aeroregs looking ahead in terms of costs, in terms of technology, what are the things that they're looking for? Because I think those are the questions that, 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 the F, that FOM and the Stefano and Mikali need answering.
0: Mm-hmm. Nathan, how do you see this meeting um, playing out between Porsche, Audi and the others? And w- I'm not saying there's going to be an agreement, but what particular things do you expect to be discussed on um, Saturday's meeting on July the 3rd?
2: It's certainly interesting news that Porsche and Audi have decided to take part in, in this meeting with the other engine manufacturers. It uh, be interesting to see if they can uh, share with the rest of the Formula 1 manufacturers what sort of thing that they want from the engine. Because it's quite clear at the moment that they are very committed to their electric projects with Porsche to Formula E. Audi with uh, World Endurance Championship and Dakar, so would would they want to be in a championship that still is powered by internal combustion engine? Would they want to join a championship that uh, is is looking at synthetic fuels? Would that be something that appeals to them? So, uh, lots lots of things to consider for Formula One and for Porsche and Audi. Um, I think. That, that that will kind of form the basis of, of whether Porsche and Audi or other manufacturers join Formula 1 in the future and what role electric power will have in that so uh, lo- lo- lots to consist due to, to to consider as well as the cost of course for for the relative manufacturers but uh, as Tim has said just to get their input will be very valuable to formula 1
0: i think by this time in 2023 we will know whether the likes of Porsche Audi will be supplying engines to Formula One because that's what happened with McLaren at the beginning of 2013 when um, they announced that they'd be switching to Honda engines for 2015. We all know how that played out. And just thinking with Porsche Audi, they need to be joining at around the time when the engine regulations do change. So if there's a time 2025 is a good time to do it. So we just have to hope, hopefully Porsche Audi will be on the Formula One uh, grid as an engines supplier or maybe as a new team um, by them. On the driver front, Guanyu Show is through, well, replace Alonso for FP1 in the Austrian Grand Prix weekend. So Formula 2 title leader Guanyu Zhou will make his Formula 1 practice debut for Alpine at this weekend's Austrian Grand Prix. Zhou, who is uh, 22, joined Alpine's Young Driver Academy in 2019 upon graduating to the Formula 2 championship. Zhou leads this year's standings after the opening three rounds, having taken two victories in Bahrain and Monaco, respectively. He has previously taken part in private test days with Alpine, running an old spec machinery and represented the team under its Renault guise at last year's young driver test. Sho is set to be the first Chinese driver to appear at a Grand Prix weekend since Marching Kwa's outings with HRT and Caterham in the early 2010s. Zhou will replace Fernando Alonso behind the wheel of the Alpine A521 for Friday's one hour session at the Red Bull Ring. Driving an FP1 at a Formula 1 Grand Prix weekend is like a dream coming true and another step closer to my ultimate goal of becoming a Formula 1 driver, said Joe. It's going to be a very special moment. I'm preparing myself as much as I can to be ready and also ensure that I'm able to complete all the targets and plans that the team have set me to do. There have not been many Chinese drivers in Formula 1, so to be behind the wheel of an F1 car during a race weekend is going to be a very proud feeling. It's going, to be even wor- it's going to be even more special that I'm driving Fernando's car, as he inspired me to pursue a career in racing when I was young. I'm very happy with my achievements so far, and I'm very thankful for the support I have from those around me. My aim is to maximise this opportunity, and I'm really looking forward to it. Joe is set to be one of three test drivers in action on Friday, with Callum Ilott due to replace Antonio Giovinazzi at Alfa Romeo, and Ryan Asani scheduled to run in place of George Russell at Williams. So we finally get to see Guanyu's show in a Formula 1 car in an official practice session. Ed, a really good sight to see, and it'll be very interesting how he gets on. Very nice sight to see, and he's earned it. He's done well to start the F2 season. He's in the
3: championship lead, albeit he was cut after Baku, but he deserves a run out in a Formula 1 car. He's worked hard over the past three years to get to where he is. And it's nice to see most of last year's uh, quarter of the Formula 2 grid from last year, coming back and doing a session together, Roy Nassani, Ilot, Schumacher, Sonoda, Mazepin, or sorry, over a quarter, I should say, um, who are coming back to have a session. So it's nice for them. I also think it's going to be beneficial for Ganojo having that experience in that car, also replacing Alonso for that session. So it will add the responsibility side to it. And also, if Alpine decide to keep Alonso, there is one or two teams that may be looking for a driver at the end of the year. So he may put himself in the shop window for 2022 if a Williams decide to not promote within. Uh, there's also Alfred Mayo if they decide not to take on Callum Milot. So there is a number of opportunities out there. And by having a good session and keeping it clean and being up there in the mid-pack, Guan Zhou could put himself in the shop window for that drive in 2022. And it would be an amazing opportunity for him and for his country. China's only had one drive before, and that was Marching Ha, as you've said. We never really had the best opportunities it was hrt and a from, and they were never that quick so it, it will be interesting to see how he gets on i hope he keeps it clean i think he will and it's going to be good to see chinese representation on the formula one track on the formula one
0: formula one circus for the first time since i believe maybe 10 years mm-hmm. nathan it's it's a really important time for Joe with this practice um, session opportunity. He's leading the Formula 2 Championship, and I was just thinking, if he wins the Championship, where is he going to go? Because surely he needs to have something in plan for him.
2: Yes, yeah, a, a, a great opportunity for, for Joe. You know, he's, he's leading the Formula 2 Championship and doing a, 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 great job, a, a really good job in, in that Championship. So uh, he thoroughly deserves this opportunity to drive a Formula 1 car in an FP1 session and to be replacing Alonso as Ed says uh, has a huge amount of responsibility attached to it because uh, if he he doesn't do the job in, in the session then they'll be on the back foot the whole weekend so he, he knows that he has a, a tough challenge ahead but I'm sure he'll be up to the task and uh, being only the second Chinese driver to be in a Form 1 session for, for 10 years will be a very proud moment for him and, and for his country, but as as you alluded to, with so few seats in Form 1, he, he needs to prove himself. There is the the potential of a seat at Williams with a possible move for, for George Russell to Mercedes, so he, he he's very much in the window to be on the grid next year, and uh, he needs to use this session to, to prove that.
0: And, you know, he doesn't want to waste the opportunity either, have because, you know, it is only an hour session. session. Um, but Joe's raced at the Rebel Ring before in Formula 2 um, last year and the year before. So he's got enough experience to show that he can at least get some mileage under his belt and understand how the car works in comparison to where he's already raced at. Because he's already raced in um, Asian Formula 3 this year at the be- at the beginning of, uh, you know, I think it was like January, February time in the United Arab Emirates. He's already got he's always done some racing there and he's done some formula two racing this year and this is going to be a completely different kettle of fish
1: yeah 100 percent. and i mean i'm just echoing what ed and nathan said it's obviously very well deserved very excited for him to have his first sort of official practice session in a formula one car during the race weekend and it is an important one for him because he does I mean, these sessions are becoming shorter and shorter and they are very difficult to come by so it basically means these drivers have limited opportunity to prove themselves in front of i guess the formula one circus but it is also a bit of a bittersweet one for me to be very honest because i mean was it a week and a half ago that that Esteban Ocon announced his contract extension to 2024 and Fernando Alonso is definitely staying on there until end of next year which means He's part of the Alpine Junior Academy. And he doesn't really have an immediate route into F1. I agree that he might have some opportunities at Williams, maybe. And a, I would say a very small one at, at a team like Alfa Romeo. But to me, it is it's it is a slightly sad as well to sort of see him do the FP1 and not really have a clear path into the sport at this point in time. Um, and, you know, he's leading the F2 championship. He's doing everything he can to prove himself. And just with the nature of how the, I guess the F1 ladder works at the moment with every team having its own like academy and sort of lineup of drivers that, that's coming through the the pipeline. It's just looking a bit difficult for him at the moment, but let's see, you never know.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's always super formula as well. And I think if Gwonyo Show does win um, formula two, needs to find somewhere he can do some racing at and super formula i think would be a great opportunity for him um if he doesn't get a drive in formula one um for next year but he's got his formula two campaign to focus on as well so if he can get that um done and dusted and he's the champion or he's at least in the top three which i think he will be then um that will be pleasing for both him and for the country of china who have yet to see um a chinese driver race in formula one So we want to answer a question, guys, from uh, F one He's saying, a thoroughly professional job by Max Verstappen. Mercedes had no answer to the pace of rebel. Is this now the changing of the guard? Title fight well and truly on. Who wants to answer that first?
1: I'm happy to, to take a stab. In normal course of business, I would have said yes, if the results looked like the way they did. But this year is a bit of a dud, a bit of a weird one in the sense of This whole set of regulations, this whole situation with the the tokens and the the cost cap and the rolling forward of the regulations, it was never supposed to happen. And that's why I think it seemed like Mercedes, for example, this year, in normal course of business, we we spoke about it earlier on in the podcast, they would have been a massive development race going on at this point in time, right where it's gonna be Hamilton with the and Verstappen going hammer and tongs as they are up to this point. But with Mercedes sort of saying, you know what, we're gonna try and see what we can do. Red Bull still seems to adding upgrades here or there to their car. I don't really think we can look at the information we have in front of us and say, this is a definitive changing of the guard because I, Personally, can't draw the con- conclusion saying Max Verstappen is doing it in particularly a much better job than Lewis at this point in time. It's just sort of a set of circumstances leading to the results that we're seeing. I think if it's we're in the development race between Hamilton and Mercedes on the one end and Verstappen and Red Bull on the other end, and we're still seeing Red Bull coming to up trumps, you know, throughout the season, then I would incline to say, yes, there's something going on. Obviously, the one team and the one driver is now in the ascendancy compared to, you know, I guess the previous grades. now is now struggling a bit. But I think it's too premature given where we are in sort of the wider context of F1 to say that there's a changing of the guard. I think if next year we see something similar, I would be more inclined to say that, yes, I think it's it's, it's happening.
0: Mm -hmm. Ed, you look at that. Question: um, Saying is there uh, change of the guard? You have to remember, Mercedes won the first, what, won three of the first four races, and Rebel at the moment just having their own spell of dominance. I don't sudden think it's changing of the guard just yet. This
3: is, as Tim has said, a very odd year because the regulations have been grandfathered onto this year. So I think we should be looking at this question more. Will we change the guard change in 2022? Perhaps when the regulations come in or 2023 when we're really up and running for these new cars so at the moment the results would say yes but for me personally no i think mercedes would be smart would be smart about this and if they don't think they can win the championship they will not develop the car so i think it's a little bit premature
0: to say yes come back to me in 2022 on that one nathan is there a change of the guard or do you think Red Bull are just having the, the time of their lives at the moment and it's just down to Mercedes to really fight back whenever they can? And of which, when you look at how many races we have still got to go, I still feel that Mercedes can do it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think this is a, a changing of the guard. You know, Mercedes uh, are still very, very quick. They're, they're, they're there at most tracks. Of course, last weekend was was a little bit different. Uh, Verstappen and Red Bull had their most dominant race of the season, but Mercedes have been nip and tuck with Red Bull at every single race, and while Red Bull have had a, a dominant spell, Mercedes uh, won, as you say, three of the first four races, so uh, they, they had a decent spell there, and I'm sure Mercedes and Hamilton will uh, come on strong later in the year, certainly that that second half of the year, and then, as uh, uh, as Tinnis and had said, you know, looking into 2022, has have Red Bull saved um, their, their token, saved uh, some of their money to, to spend on development next year? And will they be quicker than, than Red Bull going into next season? I think we, we need to evaluate this year and next year to to see whether Red Bull truly are now the form team. Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't personally think it's a, it's a change of the guard. As I've only mentioned, it, the rebels just having their own spell. And I think, you look at the races we've got coming up, I mean, Austria, I expect Rebel to be the favourites for that. Silverstone, I expect Mercedes to fight back because it's Lewis's home race and of course the home base of uh, where Brackley is. So Mercedes needs to have a strong race there. Hungary, I think it's a mixture of Mercedes and Rebel. So it could be a repeat of Austria, except the fact that it's a more difficult circuit to overtake as the Hungary ring. But we'll wait and see. We've still got some way to go yet um, in this championship. And I think when the summer break ends, you're almost going to have that new championship feel where what's happened in the earlier part of the year is almost irrelevant because it's more about the running now and if mercedes can really really eat into red bull's margin then it's red bull who are the more likely ones to buckle under pressure and i think mercedes will take advantage of that so there's a lot there's a lot of races left and i have only mentioned there's other races like turkey that's coming up there's Saudi Arabia as well, and we don't know about the likes of Mexico, Brazil and Australia yet. We could have some backup races for that, you know, possibly two races in Austin, maybe a ra- another race in Bahrain on the Outerloo. We don't know yet. So it, it's I won't I won't want to say Rebel are going to win it now or Max Verstappen is going to win it because we don't know. And even a single race can change the whole picture. Back to the steering Grand Prix weekend, guys. And um, I don't know whether it's going to ha- it's going to rain or not, but where do you see? Mercedes and Rebel in the battle led um, going into this weekend and what do Mercedes need to do going forward here because I think Bottas needs to not have a repeat of his pit lane maladies and actually if he can get onto the front row get ahead of Verstappen and actually help Lewis I think that's going to be one of the things that Toto Wolff is going to have in his mind. They need really a better effort from Bottas as you said he needs
3: to keep his nose clean they also need to figure out where the traffic's coming from, where they, Lewis and that Lewis Hamilton and Vance Boss can get a tow from, because that's where they suffered in the final runs. I also think they're gonna to have to have Fox Red Bull in the strategy department, because at the moment, Red Bull have the best car around that circuit. So it will all depend on qualifying, really, for me. If Hamilton gets on pole and he covers off Verstappen, then it could be a done deal. If not, I think Red Bull, sorry, Mercedes may be playing for second again, and they need to just have a repeat of this weekend, because they do not want, they don't want to lose any
0: more points to Red Bull uh, in the championship race. Mm -hmm. I think a wet race is going to be the one that comes into uh, Mercedes' rescue, um, Tinas. and do you think a wet race is
1: what Mercedes need? I mean, yes. I would say if they had to choose, they would probably choose a wet race, because then I think. comes much more down to the driver than the package. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot more, I think, open in that respect. And I think they would back Lewis to, to pull it out of the bag. Even, you know, we know Max is also quite handy in the weights, but I'm still sort of the opinion at least that Lewis is probably the supreme weight, weight weather driver in in on the grid. We saw obviously that again with his qualifying lap last year at that circuit. And so that's obviously would be a massive benefit for them if they can somehow, if the race is wet, I think Lewis would fancy his chances if he can qualify well. I mean, if he leads from the front in the wet, I think he, that, should, that should do it for him. But as we've already established, the weather is a farce, um, predictions make no sense. The world has no meaning and it's probably going to be a, a dry race. And in that case, I will agree with Ed. I think on outright pace, they don't, I don't think they're going to be able to beat Max in, in that Red Bull in particular. They're going to have to get Valtteri to pull his socks up and try and outqualify Perez because I think Perez is still struggling a bit with the, um, with the one lap pace. So if they can get Hamilton and Bottas in between Max and Sergio, they could maybe play some games with strategy to see if they can machine a win. But at, I don't really see it happening for them, all else being equal at the moment in Austria.
0: Nathan, this weekend for the Austrian Grand Prix at the Rebel Ring, um, there's going to be more fans there. And you have to say, Rebel have just got to have to maximise it. And this is very much about the championship for the long run now. Because whilst we've got 11 races in the first half of this year, after the summer break in a shorter schedule, there's 12 races where Rebel just need to maintain the momentum. And I think this weekend is going to be just building that momentum up for the running.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, got off at three races now until the summer break, and uh, this is one where Red Bull need to kind of win to consolidate their, their momentum now going forward. So they had a, a great a great race uh, last weekend for the Styrian Grand Prix, and they need to back that up again. Uh, if if they can get Perez ahead of one of the Mercedes, then that would be even better for them. But um, yeah, this is definitely a track that they'll be targeting to to build. A bit of a buffer for later on in the year where we all expect mercedes to fight back
0: yeah one thing i want to go on which we haven't discussed about is george russell because he qualified brilliantly got 11th. he was outside q3 by eight thousandths of a second he was moved up a place because of Yuki snow's of grid penalty he was up to i think either seven or eight for one point um tinas and i think it was like a pneumatic valve failure or something um in the pits which had caused his retirement and that's a huge huge shame and that would have been williams's best result in a long time
1: yeah it was just heartbreaking to see i mean he was holding his own i think he was running an eighth point at that point um and he was running there in between alonzo and i think he was talking from the back to know or science on number two um, and yeah, I mean, after his brilliant qualifying performance, qualifying P11, out qualifying Ferrari and Anasta Aston Martin and, and Alfatari, al and then maintaining that in the race, I mean, that was a, a big statement from George, I think, even though it did end in tears at the end of the day. And I, I do believe that he probably would have lost out to Charles at the end of the day anyway. So he might have scraped a point. In p10 i think um it's a massive statement from him the fact that he's able to maintain that and i think they're going to try and replicate that again next weekend hopefully they can continue this performance because i think george now knows it's within his grasp and it's it's reach to do it so now he must just execute and yeah it's it's coming for him like you can just see him improving every single race in france already he said that was probably his best performance in the williams in the race where he finished p12 without any retirements Uh, around him and now in Austria we saw an even better performance at least sort of in terms of his running order so let's hope we can see some more of that this coming weekend
0: yeah reliability will will hopefully be on George's side and bring Williams his first points since the German Grand Prix in 2019 Nathan and are Williams going to be able to do it this weekend?
2: I hope so you know uh, George certainly deserves it you know his his qualifying performances have been fantastic, uh, outshoning Nicholas Latifi uh, in, in every single session that they've been teammates together, and his race performances are just getting better and better now, so hopefully their reliability can be on his side, and, and he can finally get that points finish. As as you mentioned, it, it's almost been two years since Williams have had a points finish, so uh, it would be a massive boost for the team if, if he could achieve it.
0: It's mm-hmm. We want to get your views on and George, uh, George's weekend um, in Austria and, once again, just missing out on Q3. I mean, the only time he's been in Q3 is when he got that Mercedes outing in the second Grand Prix last year. Um, is he going to be able to do it this weekend?
3: He's got a chance, yes. I think if Mercedes Williams keep up their form as they are, they could be in with a good shot. Um, I don't really know whether Russell can keep it up due to the fact that, you know, he was helpful. The fact that Snowden got the you know the the uh, the penalty, but I think it's good news for Williams that they're right up there in the points-paying positions, and they should have got points. I read they were going to be, they had the pace to finish seventh. So I think Russell will have a chance, but he will again need he will need a little bit of help, and really getting into Q three would be a major boost for himself and for Williams, and he needs to do it. And that will all depend on whether Williams uh have the same kind
0: of momentum that they had from Syria. Let's go to our predictions part guys, this is the moment of truth that we have all been waiting for. Ed we'll begin with you with your pole sitter and your top three please. So in the hills of alive with a sound
3: of no rain and the same results. Verstappen will be on pole and I believe he will win again this time, however, I fancy Pérez for second, and I think Hamilton will be third, so it will be a good day for Red Bull and not so
0: good day for Mercedes. Nathan, your pole sitter and your top three finishes, please.
2: Fairly similar to Ed, I think. Verstappen will take pole and win the race. Hamilton in second with
0: Pérez third. A very good day for Red Bull. Tinas? Your
1: pole sitter and your top three finishers. um I'm going to be boring, unfortunately, and agree mostly with with the others. Max for pole, and I actually think we're going to have the same podium as what we had the, the past weekend, because I think Perez is just a bit far enough away in qualifying at the moment. Where I mean, if it wasn't for Valtteri's penalty, we would have finished ahead of Perez regardless. I think. So I think all else being equal, I think we're going to have Verstappen winning, Hamilton second, Valtteri third.
0: I mean, the weather could come into play, um, but my prediction is going to be Verstappen for pole, and Verstappen to win Hamilton second and Paris third. So the same as you, um, Nathan, on that front. We'll leave it there folks, because we are out of time. Thank you to everyone that's joining for today's podcast, and of course, sending in their uh, questions to the show next week jordan haynes tom feverson and la will Shaw will be with me to review the austrian grand prix at the red bull ring from ed nathan tinas and all of us at motorsport week enjoy the racing this weekend and it's goodbye